Well, good morning. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. So good to be with you and see you this morning. And um, got a chance to meet a few uh, of you that are new with us this morning or in just the last few weeks at least. And I'm um, so glad to, to do that. I just want to welcome you again, as Pastor Kyle did. Um, just thank you so much for being with us this morning and uh, gathering with us um, to worship. We're grateful um, that you're here. And um, some of you know in our liturgy and just sort of the practice, the flow of our Sunday morning gathering and service, um, I'm going to call a little bit of an audible. I usually end our service by sharing some announcements, um, uh, just sort of making our church family aware of a few things. I'm going to do that on the front end, and I'm doing that specifically because as you can tell, we're going to receive communion this morning, and I don't want to honestly just interrupt uh, whatever the Holy Spirit might be doing in our lives as we take communion uh, with some of the more uh, business activity of our day. And so um, the first thing I want to make you aware of this afternoon, tonight is community night, and uh, we do something called community night. We have this on a monthly basis in our church, and this is essentially a place where we get together with, uh, as a family, but also inviting our neighbors uh, to join in with us. And so we have four homes, and you see their addresses. I'm going to move out of the way, so hopefully you can see these addresses on our screen. And I just want to invite you to show up at one of these uh, these homes. Um, literally, all you do is show up there at four o'clock today. You don't have to bring anything. Um, you just show up, and uh, there will be um, uh, just a, at least some refreshments, some stuff, but we'll hang out, have some dessert. I think that's our theme this week or this month is having some desserts, and so we'll have some sweets for you. Um, and so uh, we'll ruin your dinner in advance. And uh, but you come hang out, and you ha- come hang out as long as you like. You can come hang out, uh, I say as long as you like. Our, uh, your, your host will tell you when it's time to go home. But, um, uh, but you just come hang out. If you can come hang out for 15 or 20 minutes, or you can come hang out for an hour, uh, whatever that is. But the idea of this is that we can have some time to gather together in community. And especially if you're new with us, if you haven't um, been to one of these, or, or you're sort of in just kind of trying to get to know our church family a little bit, uh, this is a great place to do that. And So uh, uh, people of City Church, Covenant Partners, um, you need to be there because our guests will be there, and it's our uh, responsibility to love well and be hospitable. And so uh, we'll be there, and we invite you as guests to show up. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. That's a great environment um, to do that. And then um, the next thing is, is uh, Kyle noted the financial card on your, your chair, and that's a new thing, again, that um, our leadership is just wanting to make people aware of and kind of keep you, not uh, all the time, but so that the church can know where we're at financially. But you see a line on that card that says, For the City Campaign. If you aren't familiar, uh, and this is news to you, uh, but we don't own this building. Um, this is a school that we meet in, and um, we would like one day to have a space that we can serve our city, um, bless uh, this community, minister out of, uh, as well as have Sunday morning. And so we are in the process of raising funds to do that. Um, and so uh, next week, um, right after service, uh, if you have uh, uh, committed and are part of giving to the For the City campaign, we want to update you on where we're at in that process. Um, but also, if you are, again, if you're new and you haven't had a chance to jump in with us on this to help us financially, um, if you're not, uh, again, if you're just visiting and sort of investigating our church, you can just forget this. We're not calling on you to give to this. That's not what we're asking. But if this is where you call home, if you are beginning to kind of dig in roots here at City Church and make 
make this uh, part of your, uh, your family's uh, church home, then we would ask, hey, come and, and hear about this, and you can jump in with us on that campaign. So those are our two announcements, so thank you for bearing with me on that. And now let's get to the Word of God. You might remember, if you have been with us for a long time, we planted this church, just for those of you that are new, uh, six years ago, coming up in March will be our six-year anniversary. And you might remember that we had a teaching series, one of our summer teaching series was in the book of Revelation. We just tried to tackle Revelation. We have not gone through the entire book. You can look forward to that in about 10 years when I'll be ready to teach through that book. But uh, we did go through the first two chapters of the book um, where we uh, saw letters that, uh, essentially letters to the church, God speaking to these churches and many of the churches that we read about in our New Testament. And one of those churches that he wrote to was the church in Ephesus. And we went through each of the letters to the church and tried to kind of unpack that. And you can, you, I think you might be able to go back online and find that. It scares me, all of the history of my voice that's out there in the... Neverland, um, but uh, you can go back and listen uh, to that series if you'd like to. Um, but one of the things that we noted, the, the, the primary thing as we read this letter that was written to the church at Ephesus, was that this church was faithful. This church was um, known as a church that was, had endured, had stayed on mission. They had not like other churches that were written to, they hadn't embraced a false gospel or sort of gone off into anything kind of uh, against what God would have them do or lost in terms of the teaching. They hadn't drifted. But what they had done and the reason that Jesus says that I will remove my lampstand from you was that they had forgotten their first love, which was Him. How often... As a church, and I don't just mean city church, but I talk about just the church, the corporate universal church in general. How often do we find that the church is serving and sending missionaries and they might be teaching the gospel, they might be doing all of the right things, but they don't do this rooted in a love for Christ. They do it rooted out of some sort of self-determination, self-righteousness, this desire to bring any sort of acclaim to themselves. That's not the church that we are called to be. That's not who Christ has called us to be. And that's what Jesus held against the church at Ephesus. They had gotten really good at the business of doing church. They looked really good from the outside, but their hearts were far from Christ. They had forgotten their first love. And as Paul begins the, began this section in chapter 5 in Ephesus, or to the, to, in the letter to, the, uh, to Ephesus, sorry, I'll make it, to the Ephesian church, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. He reminds them to walk in love, pointing them to the sacrificial love of Christ as our model. See, when we live, when we live and, 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 and walk this out, when we live sacrificially, we demonstrate a love for others, beginning with a love for God and for Christ, and then a love for other people. You know what you can't do? And you can't live sacrificially and love yourself in the same breath. Those two things don't work together. 
If I am living sacrificially, if I'm considering others greater than myself, if I'm looking and and thinking about all of the needs of others first, if their desires, their pains, their suffering, their joys, their wins and their losses, if that is what is most important to me, then I can't be thinking about myself constantly. That, That is where my heart and my mind is going to rest. And Paul says to this church that they're to walk in love keeping that sacrificial mindset at heart, at the center of what they do. When we live sacrificially, we say no to ourselves and all the things that serve us, that we want, that lead us, that kind of end up having our minds and our focus with ourselves at the center of the universe. How often parents... What's one of our greatest challenges as we struggle to try and disciple and lead our children, especially as they grow a little bit older? If you're like me, the thing that I come up against and deal with as we challenge and we have conversation is, don't just think of yourself. You're not the center of the world. And I have to remind myself of that. Yes, I speak that to my sons, but that's the challenge that I have. I'm not the center of the universe. But everything in my flesh and the way that I live out keeps me there. I'm the center of the universe. Why is FOMO a thing? By the way, FOMO is fear of missing out. Why is that a thing? Because we are at the center of the universe. And how dare anyone do anything without me being involved? It's a challenge. Every day of our lives, we put ourselves at the center of the world. And so Paul says, no, walk in love, because if you are walking in love, you will be thinking about someone other than yourself, and you will lay down your life for them. You will live sacrificially. So, as we walk in love, first and foremost, this, this, this other person, this other identity, the, the thing that we um, yield our lives to, and we say, no, I'm not going to go after what I want, but I'm going to live with this other thing in mind, that other person is God, the God of the universe. We put God first. We put his ways first. We put his calling on our lives first. The responsibility that he's given us, the mission that he's given us, those things come first. This is a call that we should live with our own desires put in their rightful place, which is beneath the desires of God. Why? Because we've died to ourselves and we've been raised to life in Christ. If we have been raised to life in Christ, that means we've died to ourselves. Again, the reason that we have such a conflict here is we often try to do religious things, even sort of attend the church and be a part of the church without first dying to ourselves. And we can't be a part of the church, we can't be a part of God's mission until we have laid down our life and we have put our hope in Christ alone and we have died to ourselves and been raised up in a new creation, a new life of Christ. If that sounds familiar, that's all of Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. Who we become when we lay down our life and are raised up by Christ. We're made new. And so Paul explains how we live in this new paradigm, this new idea of walking in love. Now, last week, as we unpacked verses 3 and following, we were all aghast 
that God had the audacity to say that his sexual ethic was greater than the world's. We were on pins and needles together. He reminded us of the purity that we should have as Christians. This week, as John read for us, we see the reason behind this. Why is it that the things of all of the impure ways of the world, why can those things not any longer be a part of who we are? Why can we not be marked by those things but are now marked by something new? Paul says it in verse 8, he begins, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Paul says that the reason that we live in a pure way, that we no longer follow the, the, the ways of the world, and as he addressed last week specifically in sexual impurity and all of the challenges that come with that and the brokenness that comes with that, this he's saying because darkness and light cannot coexist. Darkness and light cannot coexist. You were once darkness, but now you are light. You lived in darkness, and now you're light in the Lord. You know, we never really experience, or perhaps we don't experience this difference, this separation of darkness and light in a more frustrating way than we are in the darkness in a deep, deep sleep. And someone walks in and flips that light on. And the darkness flees, except for in our hearts where anger boils. But the darkness, the light and darkness, those two things can't exist together. Paul describes that we cannot be like the sons of disobedience that he was describing just in a few verses ahead of that who live unrepented of their sins because they live in darkness. But we who have been redeemed by Christ are now in the light. And he uses a a very particular way of saying this in verse 8. He says, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In the Lord, he says. He doesn't just say the light of the Lord. No, he says that you are light in the Lord. This is one of Paul's favorite ways of saying and describing the amazing power of the gospel. And it's something that we would be wise to, to comprehend and to grasp. It's one of the greatest doctrines of our faith. When he says that we are light in the Lord, he is describing our union with Christ. As Christians, those of us who have believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he died for my sins and was raised conquering death and drew me into new life, when we believe that, we are united with Christ. We have union with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about this very clearly. I'm going to read for us. It won't be behind me on the screen, but if you just want to make a note, this is Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. You see that sons of disobedience there? And that all that he just described was when we were walking in darkness among whom we all once lived. Guess what? None of us are free from this being the reality of who we once were. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we were when we walked in darkness. Verse 4, but God, the light appeared, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, guess what, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us and, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, guess what, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, what, in Christ Jesus. We have union with Christ. He continues in verse 11, he even says it again in a different way. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that's the Ephesian church. They remember we talked over the last couple of weeks that they're no longer to walk as Gentiles do, even that's who they were. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. The Jewish people called them this derogatory term, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, completely separated. But here's verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Far off, distant, have been brought near and are now found in Christ. You know, we often talk about Christ living in us. We sometimes even use the language of Christ dwelling in our hearts, being invited into our hearts. And while that's not inaccurate, let me just express to you that that's not the most valuable truth to know. What's more important than Christ living in us is the fact that we are now in Christ. The fact that we are found in Him is what's the most valuable and precious truth of the gospel. And here's what that means. Lewis Smead said it this way, union with Christ, this is the sum and substance of the Christian's status, the definition of his relationship to Jesus, the large reality in which all the nuances of his new being are embraced. The fact that we are found as Christians to have union, to be in Christ is most precious. And I love the way that Martin Luther stated this. Martin Luther, one of the ancient church fathers, not Martin Luther King Jr. of our more modern day, but Martin Luther says this, faith, that's faith in Jesus, unites the soul with Christ as a bride is united with her bridegroom. From such a marriage, as Paul says, it follows that Christ and the soul become one body so that they hold all things in common, whether for better or worse. This means that Christ possesses, belongs to the believing soul. What Christ possesses, excuse me. This means that what Christ possesses belongs to the believing soul. And what the soul possesses belongs to Christ. Thus, Christ possesses all good things and holiness. These now belong to the soul. 
Christ, the rich, noble, and holy bridegroom, takes in marriage this poor, contemptible, and sinful little prostitute, takes away all her evil, and bestows all his goodness upon her. It is no longer possible for sin to overwhelm her, for she is now found in Christ. I know that was a long quote, but it's beautiful. What Christ possesses belongs to the believing soul. And what the soul possesses belongs to Christ. All of God's goodness, His mercy, His grace, His kindness, His power, His holiness belongs to those of us who are found in Christ. And all your mess, all your sin, all your brokenness, all of the evil that exists in your heart that you rage and battle against day after day after day, that now belongs to Christ. He owns it all. He's over it all. He's sovereign over it all. What an amazing truth. Because we, although we were once in darkness, we have now been found in light. And we have a holiness that sets us apart. Who we are is now defined by Christ. And because of that, darkness cannot reside in us. How does that play out? How do we know that that is true? This is why we feel conviction when we sin. That is not just a moral construct that we break the rule and we realize we broke the rule and so we feel sorry about it. No, when Christ, when we have union with Christ, we are found to be in Christ, we now have conviction when we sin because darkness cannot reside where light exists. It can't be there. This is why we are humble, why we are contrite, why we are a repentant people. Conversely, This is why if you do not ever feel that conviction, if you are not humbled by the grace of God in your life, if if we are not a people of consistent repentance, we would be wise to ask ourselves the question to have fear, are we in Christ at all? Because if we are in Christ, We have union with Christ that means darkness cannot reside there. And when darkness tries to creep in, which it does for me every moment of every day, there are things that I deal with, there are things that I wrestle with, but I can tell you what it does. It does not lead me to say, oh, I'll be okay, let me just figure this out, let me navigate this. It leads me to get on my knees and repent and confess and say, Jesus, I am unholy. I don't deserve your grace and your mercy, but because of your great love for me, I receive it with praise and with thanksgiving. If we try to live holy lives, which we are called to live, the church is called to be set apart and holy. But if we try to live holy lives on our effort, we will run out of effort and we will become frustrated and even angry because we cannot achieve holiness on our own. Holiness is the work of Christ in us. It's who we are. And so because we are in Christ and have now been declared righteous and have all that is His and He has all that was ours, our mess, our sin, we walk 
and we live accordingly. There's a way that we live, a lifestyle, I would say, that Paul describes for us, that describes the Christian, not the churchgoer, not the one who's striving to be holy on his own, but the Christian who is found has union with Christ where darkness can't reside. And this is what he describes, continuing back in Ephesians chapter 5. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Okay, walk as children of light. And guess what? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 9 says that children of light produce the fruit of light. All that is right and good and true. This is the fruit of our lives. If we went to Galatians 5, we would read the fruit of the Spirit. As the Spirit is at work in us, because of our union with Christ, we consistently produce that kind of fruit. As you think about your life, is the fruit of your life the fruit of that light? Goodness, righteousness, truth. These aren't things that we pour out from our own effort and, and we achieve. But no, out of our union with Christ, because the light dwells in us, it overflows out of us. Do you want to know why Christians, by and large, are winsome people? I'll just tell you, if you ever think, I'll just, since I'm the one on the stage, I'll put myself on blast, you think to yourself, he's a pretty nice guy. I know you might not think that, but if you did every now and again, <laughs> there's some wisdom or there's truth that flows out of him. There's, there's kindness. He's, he seems merciful. He's gracious to me when I say hello to him. He spends time with me. Why does any of that exist as part of my life? It's the overflow of my union with Christ that I am in the light and the light flows out. And as Christians, that's who we are. That's why, as a people, we are a winsome people. When you get around us, there should be goodness and truthfulness and righteousness that flows out of us. And conversely, there is not the darkness that we so readily experience in the world. Because guess what he says in verse 11? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. See, darkness exposes or darkness produces unfruitfulness. There's this counterbalance here. There's the fruitfulness of the light of Christ, and there's the unfruitfulness of darkness. I don't have to even try. Right now, your minds, without me even speaking a word, think about the unfruitfulness of the darkness that exists in our world. I don't, have to, I don't have to give you an example. I don't have to point you to anything. Right now, in your own hearts there, that exists periodically. In, in some experience that you had this week, yesterday, as soon as we walk out from this building, we'll come face to face with the darkness of this world, and we experience it over and over and over again, the unfruitfulness of that. And as Christians, because of who we are in Christ, we've been made new Paul says that we are to live as in the light that we've been made new in, and it should produce a fruitfulness. And here's what he says in 13. He first, he says, don't partake in the unfruitfulness, but expose it. And guess what happens? 
When it's exposed, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Back to my analogy of the light in our rooms. When their room is dark, we walk in, we flip on the light switch, and everything that is in the room can be seen. Darkness can't exist there. These two things, darkness and light, can't coexist. Now, as I've described somewhat already, the testimony of my life, and I'm sure yours, you're thinking to yourself, but I struggle with this or that. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Does that mean I have not been made new? Well, if you don't find yourself feeling conviction for the darkness, the unfruitfulness of your life, if you don't find yourself regularly calling on the Lord in repentance and confessing your sin to Him, then that is something that I would worry about. And I don't speak that in judgment over anyone here. I speak that in love because I want you to come and have a conversation with me about that. There's nothing more important that you would know the grace and mercy of Christ. He doesn't come here, and you're not here to be condemned for that darkness. You're here to know that the light of the world brought you here so that you could be filled with light and the darkness could be expelled. But for those of us like me who do struggle on a daily basis, I just confess that I do have this fruitfulness, the fruit of the light that I could point to in some ways, not trying to pat myself on the back, but we do see that, this winsomeness of the Christian person. There also is this darkness. There's darkness that exists there. Well, what do we do? He says, God himself in verse 13 When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible in light, or is light, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He says, wake up. Yes, there is darkness that resides in our flesh that we have to do battle against. And what we do, how we do battle is not some sort of moralistic, I'm going to just win this battle with effort and energy and all that I am. No, I'm going to bring this darkness into the light. And I do that as I confess it to God. I repent of that sin and Christ's light shines on it. And then what happens? It's gone. It's as far as the east is from the west. The darkness can't exist there any longer. And this is a lost habit for the Christian, that we would confess, that we would repent, that we would acknowledge our sinfulness before God. I've told you sometimes before, one of the practices that I've tried to do in my own home as I disciple my sons is I try to tell them when I mess up, when I sin, I go to them and I confess to them and say, hey, babe, here's what happened. I sinned against God, and I sinned against you. I need to confess that to you. I need to repent of that. I sinned first against God Almighty, the sovereign of the universe, who died for me. I, I cannot do anything but for I deal with that reality. And then I repent to the individual. But what we try to do and what the enemy is tempting you to do in the darkness, that unfruitfulness that exists in our life, is to try and hide it. To continue to walk in it. Maybe no one will ever find out. How many news stories do we have to hear about before we recognize the truth of God's word that your sin will find you out? One day it will find you out. If God is gracious, he'll find you out right here in this time. That would be his merciful thing. 
God forbid we not find it out until the very end where there is, we have lost all hope. There's no longer any time for repentance. But today, we confess the unfruitfulness of our heart. We repent of it, and we lay it at the feet of Jesus, and we allow his light to shine. This morning, we're going to take communion. In fact, just here in a moment. And when we receive communion, you know, I often read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which I'll do in just a moment. And Paul instructs, he says, do not take of the Lord's table. Don't participate in communion before you have dealt with the Lord, before you have had a conversation with God. Don't come to the Lord with an unclean heart, because if you do that, you'll just be pouring, be pouring God's wrath upon yourself. He says you need to be able to think back and remember what Christ has done on your behalf. And so as we receive communion this morning, we're going to pause and we're going to spend some time. And I'm going to invite you to humble your hearts before God, bow your heads, and confess and repent. I don't know the sinfulness. I don't know what things you've struggled with. But I know that if you're like me, there's, there are things in my heart that I need to, to confess to the Lord. I need to repent. But here's the beautiful thing. As I do that, as I confess and repent, Christ's light shines upon me. And I then get to come to the table. And I get to remember that all the things that I just confessed to the Lord, those sins that I repented of, they were paid for fully when Christ laid down his life on the cross, when he shed his blood, when his body was broken for me. What a powerful truth. So, if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart and perhaps brought some conviction and said, I, I'm not sure if I have ever believed in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I don't know what you're talking about there. I don't, I've never felt a need to repent or confess sins to God. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you move and would you bring that conviction? Would you lead each and every soul in this room to, to that point? But I'd encourage you, wrestle with the Lord over that. Listen to what he has to say. Don't come to the table before you deal with the Lord. But after we've spent some time in prayer and you've had a moment to confess and repent of your sins, then come participate. Come and get some bread and some juice and rejoice that everything that you just dealt with was paid for by Jesus Christ because of his love for you, because of his mercy. So we're going to spend some time in prayer. The worship team will be singing. And the way we take communion here is just as the Spirit leads you after that time in prayer, you can come to the front or to the back, just sort of make your way to either tables. Take the elements and make your way back to your seat, and we'll receive communion together as a family. If you need gluten-free, um, the small bowls here on this side and one at the back on this side of the room. If you have a gluten-free diet, you can get gluten-free bread at either of the small bowls on these tables. Um, but let's go to the Lord. 
Let's be a people who confess, who repent, who are eager to take all of the darkness that resides in our heart and put it and bring it into the light. Lord Jesus, I pray now for your people that you've gathered in this room. I pray if there's anyone who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that they would not go through some religious activity this morning. They wouldn't do something just out of routine, but Holy Spirit of God, would you bring conviction upon their hearts? Would you show them your unbelievable grace and mercy? Would you allow these words from Ephesians to be the truth of our lives? And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is who we once were. Perhaps that is who in this room, there is someone that says, yep, that's me. You didn't stop there, God. You gave us this promise. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that this morning perhaps would be the day of salvation. By your grace, someone might be saved. So they'd be able to confess of their need for you. And for the first time, they'd be able to come to one of these tables and receive the gift of your table. And I pray that we would collectively, all of us who call on your name, who call ourselves Christians, let us now confess, Lord Jesus, to you. Remind us of our sins, not in judgment, but so that we might lay them before you and so that your light might shine and the darkness can no longer dwell in us. I pray all of these things would be true. Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.